it's been good to watch Miss Bridget just open up like she said, and just an incredible story. She now works for the church, and she's uh, she first started by just volunteering, and she started taking on so much responsibility, now we actually started paying her. <laughs> so she's just a precious jewel to our church and, and a tremendous blessing to us. Well, good. This morning, we're going to continue our series, Heart for the House, and uh, today we're going to talk about growing with others. Just say that with me. Say, growing with others. You know, Jesus didn't mean for you to do this alone. He didn't mean for you to get saved and to, to give your life to him, to, to lead a life of loneliness. Amen? To, to bury yourself, like, like Bridget said, in, a, in your house for a year and, and just hide out. Although sometimes I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> right? There's times we go, well, man, I'm just tired of people. But God's called us to grow with others. Right? So it, it, it's a funny thing. If, if you read the Bible and you study the Bible enough, you start to see an ongoing pattern in the Bible where Jesus is constantly talking about relationships. He's talking first and foremost, he's talking about his, your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus, one and the same, right? And then he's talk, he talks a lot about your relationship with others. Remember when he called his disciples, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't call just one. How many did he call? He called 12. And those guys were to live together and build a relationship together and go on to build the kingdom together. The kingdom of God has been built from day one through relationships. Right? Amen. If you say amen, I promise I'll preach good. All right, there we go. Good exchange. You've heard me say this before, if you've been here any, any, any amount of time, that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. I'll say it again. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. In other words, if you've got good relationships, then chances are you have a good quality of life. If you've got some relationships that are on the brink or they're struggling or they're in turmoil right now, then your quality's down a little bit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because your, your, your quality determines how you mend the things. That doesn't mean that, that things aren't going to go wrong in your relationships, right? It just means that when things do go wrong in relationships, your quality of life is able to step in and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not fine with this. We're not going to let this sit there and just we're not going to be mad at each other and give each other the silent treatment. Anybody grew up with the silent treatment? I did. I hate the silent treatment. My grandmother, she'd get mad at me. I lived with my grandmother and my mom. When they would get mad at you, I mean, it was just quiet in the house. And for a teenage boy, that's not good. I mean, you know they're mad. And so, so what would happen is, is that they would stay mad at you and they would stay quiet until something else happened. Right? Until somebody, somebody got hurt or somebody got in an accident or somebody died. Right? There was, in my family, there was never a... Uh, come to Jesus meeting where we, we, we worked on our relationships and we mended things. It was always, if something big happened, then we would all kind of just agree to agree. And we said, okay, well, we're, we're good now. But there was never, I'm sorry. It's, it was always my fault. I was a teenage boy. I caused everything. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. Jesus is big into relationships, amen? 
Your relationship decisions are the most important decisions that you'll ever make in your entire life. Do you believe it or not, but the, the people you hang out with are the people you start acting like. I can tell when my son goes and hangs out at one of his buddy's house, a particular buddy of his, and, and he'll go spend the night or go, go spend the day with his buddy. When he comes back, he talks like this little, <laughs> and it burns me up. I mean, he walks in, a, hey, Dad, I'm going to go try the tractor. I'm like, you better talk straight. <laughs> yes, sir. People influence us, right? I've always been told if you want a great marriage, you need to hang around people with a great marriage, right? You want great kids, you need to hang out with some people that have great kids, right? You want to be a good person, you need to hang out with some good people. It doesn't mean you don't ever interact or, or, or come in contact or spend some time with some people that aren't quite as good because Lord knows they, somebody's got to come hang out with you. Hopefully you're better than somebody. Relationships are very important to Jesus. Look at what Matthew chapter 18 verse 20 says. Jesus said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Where two or three gather together, Jesus is there among them. So let me give this to you. Jesus is here this morning. He is here. There's there's more than two or three of us, right? I'm one and a half. Thank you for not laughing too hard. But Jesus gets excited when his people get together. Come on. God is excited about this morning. He's very glad that you came to church. Why is Jesus so interested in our relationships? Do you know that you are who you are because of the people you hang out with? And I was studying that. I was thinking, man, if I would have never packed my bags and moved from Franklin, Louisiana to Jennings 10 or 11 or 12 years ago, I, the chances of me being divorced are great. 80% of my mama's side of the family is divorced. My daddy's side of the family, 100% is divorced. Did you think I had a chance? I thank God he moved me away from there. He moved me out. He got me away from him. My family some of the most ruthless, toothless people you'll ever want to meet. I hadn't seen them in four years. The first thing they tell me is they give me an adjective. I'll use the word dang but they go, dang, you fat. I ain't seen him in four years. It's like, well, I love you too. I had buddies back in Franklin I used to smoke dope with. Bad influences. Guys that I used to hang out with that were so-called Christians that were sipping on the side. So what does that mean? I could be divorced, smoking dope, and sipping on the side and still going to church acting like everything's fine. Fooling only only myself, right? You are who you are because of the people you hang out with. I look at a great contrast in, in Peter and John, right? When you study your Bible, you see a great difference in Peter and John. Peter was a guy, I mean, he'll cuss you out. He'll cut your ear off. He's kind of got a Mike Tyson spirit with the ears, you know. He just kind of, 
And then John's like, he lays at the feet of Jesus. He's, he's full of love and compassion. What a great contrast. You think Peter needed what John had? And maybe John needed what Peter had? Maybe John needed a backbone and Peter needed to get rid of some of his anger issues. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I want to read something to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 7. <clears throat> I observed yet another example of something meaningless, meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or brother, yet he works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is also meaningless and depressing. Verse 9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You see the power in numbers? Do you see the power in being joined together with somebody else? Amen? If you're alone and you fall, who's going to pick you up? If you're all alone and something bad happens, who's going to encourage you? Who's going to pray for you? Can I tell you we got some lonely people in this church? People that just won't reach out to anybody else? People that still have their wall up? Listen, this is a wall-bursting church. You won't stay here long if you don't want your wall broken. I'm serious. We got the kind of people in this church, they're going to come up and ask you personal questions. And for some of you, that might be uncomfortable. But all we're trying to do is get your wall down. Right? It's not that we really just want to be in your business. <laughs> I got plenty of business on my own. It's just that we want to help you get your wall down and help you see God do some great things in your life. Amen? So let me give you some reasons why people walk alone. Number one is naivety. I guess that's how you say that. Is that how you say that? Naivety? I got it right? <laughs> Franklin education <laughs> kicked in. It surprised me. There's some people who genuinely don't know that they, that they need other people. Really, there is. There's people that they, they just think, well, I'm just meant to walk alone. And I don't need anybody else. You ever met somebody and their life's a wreck? And their next door neighbor could have fixed their life in an instant? But they never stepped out and asked? Never stepped out and said what was going on? Some people just don't know that they need other people. Look at your neighbor and say, you need somebody. Some of you might want to say, I told you you was coming to church and you needed some help. I've been telling you for years you need help. I heard a story about Muhammad Ali. You know Muhammad Ali, right? Muhammad Ali gets on an airplane and he sits down and the, and the, and the, the, the stewardess walks up and she goes, uh, sir, you need to put your belt, your belt buckle on. 
And he looks at her, he goes, Superman don't need a belt buckle. And she jumped right back at him. She said, yeah, Superman didn't need a plane either. Now buckle up. <laughs> we all need somebody, amen? The second reason we might walk alone is temperament. <laughs> you might say, I'm not outgoing. I'm kind of shy. You might use that as, a, that as an excuse. You might be shy, okay? That's a real thing to be shy. But it doesn't mean you got to hide behind it. Amen? It doesn't mean you need to stay shy. You see, my wife, my, God gave me a wife and a, and a family when I married my wife that they, they hug, they kiss on the cheek, they ask you how you doing. She's got one aunt, she used to, she used to kiss you on the neck and she'd do this thing on your neck. Okay, I come from a family where, so. I had shy issues, okay? I wasn't the most outgoing person. My father-in-law never met a stranger. We were doing a job in New Orleans, and a guy walks out of this brand-new hotel, and he goes, Hey, Bo, how you doing? I was like, you know everybody. I wasn't that kind of person, but God put me in that kind of a family. Are you with me? When I first met my wife, I couldn't stand shy. Oh, Shah, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Now I say Shah. I must have said it six times this morning. I was like, man, I got to stop saying Shah. <laughs> I've learned how to hug people. I've learned how to kiss people. I've learned how to do those things. I don't do the <laughs> on the neck. <laughs> I draw the line. <laughs> the only neck I'm doing it on is my wife's, Amen. But you might be shy, but you know what? You need to step out of that shyness. You don't need to let that be an excuse to keep you from God's promise. Do you know that God has, he only has his best for you? And that sometimes his best is locked up in another relationship. But if you're so shy and you hide behind your shyness and you never open up and never step out and build new relationships, then you really never get to see God's best for you. Amen? Listen, I've made a fool out of myself many times trying to come out of my shyness. Say some of the stupidest things in the world. So what? I've learned I just, just be who I am. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I know you're surprised, but I'm not. I'm actually pretty common. Amen? I've learned how to overcome my shyness. So let's not let temperament be an excuse or a reason why we walk alone. The third one is fear. It's the fear of the unknown and the fear of the known. There's two different types of fear. Some people might be afraid to start a new relationship or to open their life to somebody else because they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know where it's going to end up, right? That's why some people don't come to this church because we're just a little too friendly. My pastor is the most touchingest pastor. Now, he's, he's good. But he's the most touchingest pastor I know. When he comes, man, God, how you doing, man? It's good to see you, man. You been all right? Man, good, man. I'm glad to see you, man. God, all right. Wife's doing good? Yeah, good, good, pastor. I mean, when you're done, you got a full-blown massage. <laughs> Sometimes I just go, hey, pastor, how you doing? <laughs> right there, pastor. <laughs> Some people can't get past their fear. Fear the unknown, not sure where the relationship's going to go, not sure how it's going to end up, not sure what they're going to ask you, right? 
And then there's the fear of the known. Well, what if they find out all my dark secrets? What if they find out the things I don't want anybody else to know? Sometimes my fear is that people realize who my family is. Listen, when I'm in, in St. Mary Parish, I get pulled over by a cop. I've attempted to use another last name. What's your name, son? Thibodeau. It doesn't say Thibodeau. I'm a Thibodeau. Sometimes there's a fear that people are going to know the real you. Amen? Naivety, temperament, fear. The fourth one is past experiences. Listen, we've all been burned in relationships. If, if you've been burned in a relationship, raise your hand, please, so everybody else can see that they're not the only one. No, raise them up. Come on. So now I want you to look around. No, keep your hands up. Come on. You're not going to pull a muscle, I promise. Keep your hands up. I want you to look around. You see, you are not the only one that's ever been burned in a relationship. So tell the devil where he needs to go. That's right. Back home. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been taken advantage of in relationships. Just because you burn your hand on the, on the stove one time doesn't mean you quit cooking, right? Come on. You got to go back in the kitchen. You got to try again. Knowing that you might get burned again. So it might be your past experiences. Some of you, it might just be busyness. And I believe this is a big one. Because listen, we're all busy. And we can all be busier. But we can also all stop. And take time for relationship. That's been one of the greatest lessons for me over the last couple years. Is learning how to stop my busyness. To take care of what's important. Amen? Listen, God gave me a company to run. I run the company. I'm trying to make money to build this kingdom. I'm doing all those things. That's part of my mission on this earth. And I'm all about that. But what God's told me in the past is that you need to learn when to stop that and take time for people. Take time for opportunities that come up in front of you. Don't let your busyness be an excuse to walk alone. Amen? How many of you remember the show Cheers? How many of you used to watch Cheers? Is that the coolest show or what? I love Cheers. I listened to the, the, old, the old theme song this morning until it got to the second verse and it got a little weird. But what, what, was the, what was the thing behind Cheers? Come to a place where everybody knows your name. You know what the story was? The story was it was a guy who owned a bar who didn't drink and people just came and hung out. And when somebody walked in, hey, Norm, you remember that? It was just a place where people knew you by name. And people go to places like that. Too bad the church isn't always like that, huh? Sometimes you can go to church and they don't ever remember your name. Come on. <clears throat> Romans 12, 5 says, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. Each of us needs all the others. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. And you need to confess that. Now you say back to your other neighbor, I need you. You see, because Paul sees it like we're all one body. We're all parts. We're different parts of the body of Christ, right? Listen, not all of us can be a foot like me. I'm sorry, but somebody's got to be the butt. 
I'm going to let you sit on that one for a minute. (laughs) But we're all parts of, of the body, amen? And it takes all the parts to make a complete body, right? You're all different parts of the body of Christ. And the Bible says that we need each other. We were made for each other. We got a thing that we say every now and then talk, when we talk about people that we're opposite of. I'll give you, for instance, like my business partner. He and I are total opposites. He's a very neat, structured, ordered. He determines all of his steps, and they're like this. Okay? And I am the total opposite. My life is like... We rub each other raw. I'm saying, if nobody aggravates me more than my business partner. And I can say that because I've told him that to his face. Because the feeling's mutual. Nobody aggravates him like I do. But you know what's cool? Is that God has used us over eight years. He put us together. He used us like sandpaper. You've heard the verse in Proverbs where it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You need to get around some people that are going to sharpen you. Lonely people are dull. Lonely people are dull. God uses people to rub on you, to knock some of the little things off of you, the little burrs in your life. Because we all got burrs. So we need each other. Amen? Let me give you four aspects of a person's life. It's kind of where people live. Let me give you those four different aspects. The first one is the arena. The arena is where I know and you know. The arena is the most common place that we live in. It's our public image. It's who we are out in public, right? Now, if we're we're real honest this morning, we can all say, I'm a little bit different at work than I am at home. I'm the only honest person in the building. If I raise my hand, you raise yours, okay? All right. Keep it simple. It's a place where I know you and you know me in the public arena, right? There's nothing, it doesn't get too deep. It doesn't get, it doesn't get too personal. It kind of stays surface. We all live in that place, right? In the arena. The truth is, is that I need people who really know me. You can't live in the arena. Are you hearing me? People try to all the time live in the arena where you just live in the superficial world where you got this image of who people think you are and you, you, you've got this thing going your way and people think you're a good person and they don't know your junk in your trunk, right? They don't know anything else about you, so you kind of like that. Why? Because it's, it's not safe, but it's, it's kind of peaceful and you can hide and, and you almost find security in that place, right? Isn't it nice when somebody doesn't know all your business? Can we just be real? I wish my pastor didn't know any of my business. I went to the chiropractor a couple weeks ago. I said, Doc, man, I said, kind of, I don't know what's going on. He said, I'll tell you what's going on. He slapped me on the belly. He said, you need to lose some of that. I was like, thanks, Doc. Then he offered me cookies, which is, I was like, <laughs> you trying to keep my business? What's going on? 
So I go home and I tell my wife. She said, so what did the doctor say? I said, well, baby, he said I need to lose a little bit of this. Took about a day and my pastor calls me. Man of God, I heard the doctor said you need to lose weight. <laughs> like, dear goodness. I wish I wouldn't have said nothing. And so now when I come home from the chiropractor, he's like, what did he say? I, he was silent. He didn't say nothing. He was quiet. He must be going through something. We pray for him. He was just sitting there eating cookies. I don't know. I need people who really know me because there's another side to you. Amen? Come on. You and your spouse and your kids are the only ones that know what you're going to go home and put on when you get into the house. Right? My kids know it's fat pants. That's pants with no restraints. And a big old t-shirt. Right? And you're going to get as comfortable as you can. Not everybody knows that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says that no one knows a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. We had a leadership development meeting Wednesday night, and I, I, I was teaching how to study the Bible. And, and we went off into this, this parable. You remember the parable where the guys lowered the paralytic through the roof where Jesus was teaching? And the guy comes down, and the first thing Jesus says to him is, Son, your, your sins are forgiven you. And then the Bible says immediately Jesus knew all the other people. He knew their thoughts. <laughs> he knows your thoughts. Amen? He knows how you think. He knows why you think the way you think. The funny thing is he likes to use people in our lives. Amen? We need community where everybody knows our name when we face that day. We've all had a day, right? We all have a day. I remember one day, it was probably a day like today, nice and cool, I think it was fall time, and, and it was, the weather was cooling off, and I was on a John Deere tractor at work, and I got a phone call. It was my, my aunt, and she said, she said, Jamie, Grandma was killed. Grandma got in a car wreck, and she died instantly. At that moment, everything in my life stopped. That was a day. We all have those days, right? You want to know what I did? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to get off the tractor. I didn't know whether to kill the tractor. I didn't know whether to drive the tractor. I didn't know whether to go home. All I knew was is I had a friend in my pastor, and I called him. I said, hey, man, of God, my grandma was just killed. I don't know what to do. He said, go tell your boss. Knock off of work. Go home. Call your family. Find out the details. Okay. I hate to see if that would have happened that day and I would have been all alone. I might still be on the tractor. <laughs> but I needed somebody because you're all going to face that day. We're all going to face a day when something unexpected happens. The question is, is, do you have somebody to call? You see, when a man's by himself and he falls, there's no one there to pick him up. But if he has a friend, someone he can call that can come pick him up. Can you tell you how many times I hear people that they come to me and they're broken and they're hurting and they're crying and they're weeping. And they're saying, we're going through this and I just, I can't make it no more. I'm like, 
Why didn't you call me when it started getting bad? Why didn't you call me then? Why didn't you reach out then? I didn't want to bother you. Man, bother me then. It breaks my heart to see people that are lonely. Amen? Just people that don't have any friends. They're not, they're not friendly. The Bible says that if you'll be friendly, you'll have friends. My kids were all, all homeschooled for several years. And I remember the two, two years ago or three years ago, what was it, Virginia? Three, three years ago, we sent them to school. And a couple of them had issues making friends. And so I gave them the verse. I said, the Bible says that if you'll be friendly, then you'll have friends. My kids have friends. But it requires something of them to actually go and be friendly. Amen? The second aspect of people's lives is the mask. I know, but you don't know. If we're honest, we all have a mask. We're all hiding something. And we're hiding behind something. The truth is that I need somebody who's going to protect me. If there's something that only you know about your life, you're in trouble. I heard Pastor Jacob say years ago that you need to embarrass the sin in your life. You don't know how you overcome sin? You embarrass the sin in your life. You know how you embarrass the sin in your life? You tell somebody else about it. I heard Jesse Duplantis say one time, he said, if you got a, talking to the men, he said, if you got a lust issue or a lust problem, he said, go tell your wife, you won't have a lust problem no more. <laughs> I said, you crazy. <laughs> you might have a, a walking problem or something. <laughs> we all hide behind something, but we need somebody who's going to protect us. And you know, as a pastor, I can't protect you if I don't know what's going on. A shepherd can't protect his flock if he doesn't know where the flock is and what they're doing. Amen? Don't stay alone. Don't get isolated. Don't isolate yourself and not let anybody know that you're going through something. You need to let people know when good things are happening in your life, not just the bad things. You all remember Mike Tyson, don't you? Iron Mike. One of the greatest boxers there ever was. The guy could hit and he had more first round knockouts than anybody else in history. He was the youngest heavyweight champion of the world at the age of 20. He grew up with a hellacious background. I mean, just trouble all over the place. But he, he was in a reform school and he met a, a, a boxing coach and his name was Cuss is what they called him. And Cuss became like a father to Mike Tyson. And he trained him and he taught him and Mike Tyson went on to be the the world heavyweight champion. But Mike Tyson still had those underlying issues in his life. He still had problems. He still had things that only Cuss knew about. Well, one day Cuss died. And from that day on, if you, if you just read the history of Mike Tyson, his life basically just fell to the drain. Before you knew it, he was convicted of rape. He had all these, these public things. He gets back into boxing. He bites a guy's ear. All these crazy things. And it was all because who he surrounded himself with. You see, he had a father image in cuss, but that guy died. So maybe you need more than one friend. Maybe you need 
a three-braided cord? Come on. Because, you know, we can be isolated by ourselves, and then we can find somebody else who wants to be isolated, and we can join together and be isolated together and say that we got friendship, right? But you only got two people sitting on an island somewhere all by themselves. That gets old quick, too. You need relationships. You need to get from behind your mask. You know, you hear us talk, and we've said this in the past, that you need to give people refrigerator rights in your life. You know what that means? You need to give people the right to come up into your house or into your life and open your refrigerator and see what you need or see what you got. You heard me tell a story about the little kid that used to come to our house all the time, and he didn't have refrigerator rights, but he took them. I mean, as soon as he got to our house, every time he would be in my line, he'd go straight for the pantry. I mean, for me, I'm like, hold up, cuz. That's my snacks. My little Debbie's. Get your hands off my Debbie's. But you need to give people refrigerator rights. You need to give them the right to get into your life. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says it from the message. It says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open the whole truth on display so that, that those who want, want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. In other words, we don't wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. Get rid of your mask. Let somebody know who you really are. You know, the funny thing is in, in marriage is a lot of times you don't really get to know each other. You know how it is with newlyweds? For the first year, how's marriage? Oh, he's perfect. So you keep asking those questions until they go. His feet stink. Or it might be, she grinds her teeth at night. And I can't take it no more. I just love watching Nulu. Oh, we're just in love. <laughs> God bless your heart. James 5.16 says to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The Bible encourages you to confess your sins to other people. Now, I taught Wednesday night, you just don't confess it to anybody. You heard the joke about the preachers that were all together. One said he had a drinking problem. The other one said he had a lust problem. And the third one said, well, I got a, I got a gossip problem. <laughs> be careful who you confess your sins to, Amen. The third aspect is you have a blind spot. We all have a blind spot. The blind spot looks like this. I don't know, but you know. We all have a blind spot. You know, sometimes after you leave the restaurant, you don't know if you got a big old piece of black pepper in the middle of your teeth. Right? And you just smile and they're hey, how you doing? Maybe a piece of cabbage sticking out or something. And you just, Hey! You might have something hanging out your nose. Listen, I had somebody come to me one time, and they said, Hey, man, I'm going. 
You got something hanging out your nose. Oh, God, thank you. That lady come, one of my friends, a lady come up to me, she goes, oh, man, here's a piece of gum. Your breast stinks. Listen, I wasn't mad. I was very grateful because I didn't want people to start falling out in the spirit because of my breath. Hey, Amen. You sitting there praying for me and they're doing this. And I think the Holy Spirit's moving the whole time. I'm pressing in. We all have a blind spot. We all have issues that we don't realize we have, right? I bet you could look at your wife or your husband and say, you got this, and you don't, I've been telling you for years, and you don't want to believe it. I've been corrected before, and I didn't want to hear it, but I didn't realize that what I was doing was true. It was a true correction. We need people that can see our backside. We need people that love us enough to tell us the truth. Amen? I love people that tell me the truth. I've had a hard time with that my whole life. I pledged a fraternity in college. People have always been scared of me. I don't know why. I'm like a big teddy bear. I'm pledging a fraternity and they were going to haze us one night. And I'm standing in line blindfolded waiting for a hazing. And they're over there, they're slapping everybody else, throwing beer on them, cussing them. And I'm just standing there. It's like, man, sooner or later they're going to get to me. Nobody ever came up except this one guy. And he comes up to me and he goes, he pushed me on the chest. You just think you're bad. You just think you're not so bad. And I'll say I was kind of heartbroken because I said, like, where's the men around here? Who's going to be man enough to slap me? But honestly, who's going to be man enough to tell me the truth? And are you letting people get into your life to tell you the truth? You see, the truth hurts, but the truth heals. Amen. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Be careful of people that always love you and think you're perfect. Press into people that tell you the truth about yourself in love. So we have blind spots. It's where I don't know, but you know. The question is, is have you opened up your life to somebody else to tell you about your blind spots? Or are you just waiting for somebody to just do it? Because if you're just standing around waiting for somebody to just automatically come in and tell you about your life, you're going to be waiting a long time. Most people aren't that courageous. But when you sit down with somebody and you say, hey, I just want you to know you have the right to tell me what you see. I want to know, is there something I'm doing? Tell me. Have you done that? Do you have plans to do that? Number four, final one. The fourth aspect of your life is the potential. It's where I don't know and you don't know. Only God knows your potential. Amen? The Bible says God has plans for you. Before you were even in your mother's wombs, he had plans for you. <clears throat> to prosper you. He knew your course. He knew where you were going to go. He knew where you were going to end up. He knew how he was going to use you. He's got plans for you. He knows your potential. 
You know, the privilege I have is that I've gotten close enough to people that God's shared with me their potential. And he's actually given me a word for them where they didn't realize how much potential they had. And I was able to say from God, a word from God, that you've got more potential than you ever know. You need to get past this and and get on about what you're supposed to be doing. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The body of Christ needs to be healthy, it needs to be growing, and it needs to be full of love. Amen? You can't do that by yourself. You can't grow alone. You can't be healthy by yourself. Amen? We need other people. So one of, the, one of the hearts of this house, a part of the heart of this house is that we would grow with other people. We believe in that. We believe in connecting and growing with Jesus and other people. Amen? So if you're a part of this church and you feel all alone, it's only because of yourself. Amen? Because I know there's plenty of people in here that are pursuing you. Hey, you want to go eat lunch? Hey, can I call you? The truth of number four is is that I need people who are going to grow with me and who are going to grow me. That only happens when we connect. Amen? You stand up with me this morning. To sum it all up, we need to get rid of the excuses. We need to stop making excuses for ourselves, for our loneliness. I'm too busy. I'm too shy. I've been burnt in the past. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Listen, in my life, the more I open up and the more I let people know what goes on in my life, the more I grow. When I shut up, I stop growing. It's as simple as that. Listen, there's times in my life that I just want to isolate. I ain't going to lie to you. There's times I want to just jump on my tractor, crank the radio and the air conditioning up, and just cut grass till 9 o'clock at night and not have anybody bother me. But I can't stay there. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this morning. Pray for us as a church, Father. That we would learn to grow with one another. Help us to realize we are all parts of one body. And Lord, to be healthy and to be functional, we need to work together. Lord, I just pray for walls that people have in this room right now. I just pray those walls would break. I say to those walls, fall in the name of Jesus. To every excuse here this morning, fall in the name of, of Jesus. Take away every excuse, Lord. Open our hearts. Show us where we are, Father. Lord, you want your body to grow. You want this little body right here, Lord, to grow. 
Help us, Lord. Help us to grow in the image of you, Lord Jesus, to bring honor and glory to your kingdom, to lift your name on high, to reach this region, to to be a healthy, functional, working body. Unite us together, Lord. Help us to get past our differences. Bring us together in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to pray for somebody this morning, some people that up on the East Coast and the Northern East Coast, they're, they're getting ready to embrace us, what, what they're calling a superstorm. There's a massive cold front coming through, and then there's a hurricane that's pressing up at the same time. And what's crazy is, is that if you've watched National Geographic, they've actually predicted these kind of storms, even in years past. Since Katrina, they all started doing these theories of superstorms or megastorms. This could potentially be a megastorm for New York, New Jersey, and all those people there. And listen to me, they don't know how to handle a hurricane. They don't have a rice field for all that water to go in. Amen? So let's pray for them. Would you extend your hands this morning towards these cards? Father, we just pray for the East Coast, Lord, for New York and New Jersey. Father, we just pray against that hurricane. We just pray, hurricane, go east. Go northeast. Turn your way. And, Father, we pray for that snowstorm, that, Father, it would just deplete, Lord. We pray against that mega storm, and we pray that you would, you would just bring peace into the hearts of the people, Lord. Peace and security. We say turn in the name of Jesus. We declare turning over that storm and over that, that cold front in Jesus' mighty name. Show the world your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, I encourage you to come to the uh, Harvest Hoedown this afternoon in Jennings. It's going to be a great time. Uh, we, man, they got line dancing. They got uh, a greased pig they chasing. They got a chili cook-off. I mean, all kind of crazy things. So it, 